You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Welcome to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. I'm June Grosso. Every day we bring you insight and analysis into the most important legal news of the day. You can find more episodes of the Bloomberg Law Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcasts. It's the kids for the Trump administration zero in a landmark climate change lawsuit. 21 children and young adults who are suing the U.S. government for failing to properly address climate change for decades defeated the Trump administration's latest attempt to kick the dispute out of court. The Ninth Circuit denied the government's use of a rare procedural move, a writ of mandamus, saying it was entirely premature. Joining me is Mary Wood, a professor at the University of Oregon Law School. Mary, the writ of mandamus is rarely used and rarely granted. Tell us what the Trump administration was arguing there. Yeah, the Trump administration was basically pulling out this wild card that is rarely used. In fact, it's called an extraordinary and drastic remedy. And what the Trump administration tried to do was just skip the normal process of appeal. So generally when trials happen, um, the parties come before the court and the trial judge issues findings, and that process um, refines the issues. And then after that is all completed, then either party can take an appeal. But what the Trump administration tried to do was say, oh, we want to skip all that and we want to go directly to the Ninth Circuit. And they couldn't do that through the normal appeal process, so they pulled out this uh, really extraordinary um, writ of mandamus, which is just rarely used, because if you used that very frequently, you would um, circumvent the entire process that is set up for the orderly administration of justice. So what was the Ninth Circuit's decision based on? What did the court say about the Trump administration's arguments? Yeah, well, the Ninth Circuit um, stayed really within the lines. I mean, it's a very standard opinion. There's just no surprises in it. Um, There are clear factors for determining whether this writ should be issued. There's five factors that were well settled in the law, and the the Ninth Circuit said none of them are met. So one of them is, you know, does the petitioner, that's the Trump administration, have any direct appeal? Well, of course they do. At the end of trial, um, they have an appeal. Um, Will the petitioner be damaged? Um, by waiving in a way that's not correctable. No, the Trump administration said, oh, we do not want to have to go through the discovery process, which is a process that lawyers use in just about every case to get information from from the other side. Um, And the Ninth Circuit said, well, everybody goes through (laughs) the discovery process. That's that's not a reason um, to, um, to, to thwart 
the the trial process. So, um, oh, yeah. Did you have another reason there? And then um, they said uh, the Trump administration had also said, "Well, this is a very novel issue." The the truly um, climate is a very novel threat to the planet. But in terms of the process of this case, it was very ordinary. So the court rejected virtually all of the Trump administration's arguments. So going to the climate issue, this is the first time the federal government is being sued for violating constitutional rights because of its climate policies. How ambitious is this case? Well, it's ambitious in the sense that we have a climate system careening out of control. And it's sort of like, um, if you wanted to make an analogy, um, John Holdren, President Obama's science advisor, said it's, it's almost as if you're in a car with bad brakes driving towards the cliff in the fog. And what's happened now is we've got a driver in the car, President Trump, that is pressing his foot down on the accelerator. And the question is, do we want a police officer to pull that car over uh, before it's too late, before we plunge over this climate cliff? So if you want to think of the courts in this way, it's, a, it's sort of um, akin to that the uh, writ of mandamus caused a six-month delay in this case. And the U.N. former climate chief came out in June, just about when this writ of mandamus petition was filed, and said, with other scientists, we only have three years to start pushing down this carbon emissions curve. Otherwise, it's going to be too late. We're going to go into these irrevocable thresholds. So in terms of the... Um, consequences of this case, I can't imagine a bigger case on the planet. In terms of the particular legal issue in front of the court, it was just uh, a a routine sort of disposition of um, a a judicial process issue. Now, let's talk about if the Trump administration doesn't appeal this to the full Ninth Circuit or to the Supreme Court, it will go into the discovery phase. And plaintiffs are claiming that for more than 50 years, The Office of the President and eight federal agencies promoted regulations to support the energy industry's proliferation of fossil fuels. Are they going to be able to get documents dating back to Lyndon Johnson's presidency? Well, you and I could get those documents. Um, Many of the documents are already public record. And so um, they have documents spanning uh, several decades that you and I can just get hold of by browsing the Internet. So uh, a lot of the information is already public, um, but there's still probably discovery that the attorneys want um, um, to pursue other matters. Um, but, but I do want to underscore that this has been well known for decades, and government has pursued this fossil fuel policy, knowing that it would bring us to the brink of disaster. The problem for us is that we are at that brink right now. We happen to be the people living right now who um, were... Um, you know, predicted many day, many decades ago to have these consequences. And so the predictions are now turning into our actual reality. Now, where they're entering the discovery phase, the plaintiff's attorney has said she wants depositions from many representatives of top federal agencies. They had earlier sought the testimony of Rex Tillerson. How difficult is it going to be for the judge to make these determinations? Well, judges are just uh, very well-versed in discovery processes. The judges in this case, there's two, there's magistrate and then um, federal district court judge Aiken, and they deal with discovery matters all the time in cases against government. So um, it's really not, uh, not something out of the ordinary to try to get depositions against agency people, and the judges are just very accustomed 
to managing the discovery process. So we'll see where that goes. Um, when Rex Tillerson, um, when the plaintiffs wanted to depose him, that was in his capacity, um, his prior capacity, as uh, with the American Petroleum Institute. That wasn't in his capacity as um, you know, head of Department of State. Yeah. So we have about a, a minute here, Mary. If the Trump administration, as some expect it will, ask the Supreme Court to review this recent decision by the Ninth Circuit, do you believe that the court would take that case? Not this decision. I don't. This this decision operates so well within the lines and is so narrow. I really can't see any appealable issue on it at all. Um, so what it would cause is delay if there were a stay imposed on the discovery process. But right now, the parties are going ahead with discovery, and they're going to go ahead and schedule a trial, and there's no stay, so um, I fully expect a trial. All right. Case. Thanks so much for being here. That's Mary Wood. She's a professor at the University of Oregon Law School. Just after a data breach at Equifax exposed nearly 150 million Americans to the threat of identity theft, Senator Elizabeth Warren grilled the company's former CEO, Richard Smith, about the hack. Because of this breach, consumers will spend the rest of their lives worrying about identity theft. Small banks and credit unions will have to pay to issue new credit cards. Businesses will lose money to thieves. But Equifax will be just fine. Heck, it could actually come out ahead. But now, in the wake of Equifax and several other high-profile hacks, American banks and retailers are fighting over whether financial firms should follow a new national standard to quickly notify consumers when they've experienced a data breach. Joining us from our Bloomberg 99.1 studios in Washington is Naomi Nix, Bloomberg News corporate influence reporter. Naomi, tell us more about this House bill and why it would end up exempting Equifax from new requirements. Yes. Well, essentially, Representative Blaine Lukemeyer has drafted a proposed bill uh, that would essentially target uh, retail groups, uh, uh, businesses that are not part of uh, the financial industry, uh, to issue a national standard for when and under what circumstances they have to notify consumers as well as law enforcement that there has been a data breach. Now, the thinking goes that Equifax and these other banks don't need to be part of this proposed legislation because they already have a regulatory framework governing data breaches that they have to adhere to. And, and of course, not everyone agrees with that idea. Uh, also, I was just checking uh, the story in the terminal about this uh, this uh, Dodd Frank uh, bill reform bill that is in in the Senate right now, and there's a provision in there that uh, that also covers Equifax, um, an amendment from Chairman Crapo of the Banking Committee that says it would require Equifax and competitors to provide cre- free credit monitoring uh, to some consumers after a breach. Is that all wrapped into this? Yeah, well, there's there's been several. There's definitely a lot of energy on the hill from lawmakers to attack this issue. There has been for a long time. So we've seen a few different proposals crop up. Um, uh, that that that's part of it doesn't surprise me. Um, the one that they appear to be very energized and fighting over is this is this uh, Representative Lukenmeyer's proposal. And Naomi, are, are there any teeth to these proposals? Any penalties? I mean, Equifax has been sailing by and just last week reported again that there were that there were more people that it hadn't been able to identify. 
Yes. Well, and that's and that's one part of the discussion. Um, essentially, if uh, Luca Meyer's proposal essentially calls for uh, these organizations and businesses to identify not only that there's been a breach, but that there's potential harm to consumers' identity theft. There are some people who think that doesn't go far enough. They think they should be required to notify consumers as soon as there is a breach. They think there should be um, a time limit on it when they have to uh, to notify consumers as well as law enforcement. Um, and so this isn't the strongest proposal out there. In fact, there's 48 states that already have their own proposals, and some of them uh, go much further. What about... Um recourse for consumers and for uh, for others in case there are future data breaches what what recourse will they would they have in this Lukemeyer bill well um, the this is uh, you know the FTC would be the enforcer of this and so they could obviously uh, go that row and the FTC can investigate and um, decide uh, you know what what sorts of penalties there could be. And as far as this bill, does it have any better chance of passing than other bills? I mean, lawmakers have tried to pass national data breach notification laws for years, and this one seems to have a lot of opposition from consumer advocates. Well, there is some energy right now uh, because of the Equifax breach. And not only Equifax, there's been breaches at Yahoo, there's been breaches at Uber, they've made the news. There is interest among lawmakers uh, for passing such a bill. Now, whether they'll be able to get through the gridlock of Washington and resolve these disputes between the bankers, the retailers, and the consumer groups remains an open question. Um, But I wouldn't rule it out completely. And Naomi, as far as the timing of all this, um, there, uh, does it have anything to do with something that's happening coming up this November? You know, there's what there's. Oh yeah, <laughs> What's that? midterm elections for Congress, and this is an issue that <laughs> hurt a lot say. of consumers and voters. I'm, I'm just asking. It. I mean, it is an issue that consumers obviously care about, um, and tackling this issue would obviously help anyone uh, in the midterm elections. Uh, it should be noted that this is a fight that's happening before the bill has even been introduced. Um, and so there's definitely energized communities on the banker side and on the retailer side and consumer sides that will be watching it very closely. Who are the, in just about uh, 40 seconds here, who are the toughest lobbying groups out there on this? Well, you know, um, the National Retail Federation uh, is a group that they launched an advertising campaign around that. They've been very vocal about their opposition. You know, they think that any national, any bill that establishes a national standard for data breach notification should include the banks. Um, On the other side, you have the American Bankers Association, which is also, you know, been vocal about, you know, saying we already have regulations that we have to follow. And in fact, they're stricter um, and tougher than the ones that retailers currently follow. Um, and so, you know, those are those are two big organizations and they have formed their own coalitions uh, around these issues. And so, um, you know, they will definitely continue to be watching this issue and continue as, to as offer you their will, opinion. As you will as well, Naomi. Thanks so much. That's Naomi Nix, Bloomberg News Corporate Influence Reporter. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcast. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg.
The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.